0: Before we get started on this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef, I very quickly wanted to say that there are over 700,000 podcasts being made in the world right now. So however you found us, whether it be a suggestion on iTunes, or even one of your friends telling you about the show, thanks for tuning in. Let's Talk About Chef is available on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, the Alexa in your house, and pretty much everywhere else you can think of to find and listen to podcasts. So if you can take the time to tell someone about the show, we would greatly appreciate it, and we are very easy to find. If you want to have your restaurant shout out on the show, you can write to us for that or any other reason to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com, or you can follow me personally on Instagram at Chef Brian Clark. That's enough from me. Let's get right into this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. Six years ago, the world that I lived in seemed to be a relatively simple place. I was a chef that made food that people enjoyed. I got to spend my days doing the thing that I loved doing professionally. And while I ran the kitchen at night, conducting the cooks through a busy service, it happened. I don't remember what day it was, and I don't remember even what month it was, but I remember the night the chip machine started changing. The night that it spit out the words telling me a customer was gluten-free. At first, it was one every now and then, then one or two a day. Then, in what I could possibly only compare to the spread of crack in the 80s, everyone seemed to suddenly be made ill by public health enemy number one, gluten. Every single day, servers would come back to the kitchen asking if a dish was gluten-free. The sheer panic that the gluten-free craze was causing was growing stronger every hour. Books like Wheat Belly were at the top of New York Times bestsellers lists. Dumb celebrities like Miley Cyrus would gush to her millions of Instagram followers that because she stopped eating gluten, she lost weight. The barrage of misinformation continued and yet it became very obvious that no one really knew what gluten was. Every single day, cooks and chefs everywhere were holding their heads in their hands as customers and servers would ask if the fish was gluten-free. Was there gluten in a tomato? Does the salad have gluten in it? What gluten-free options do we have on the menu? and every single day we would beg and beg for someone, anyone, to hear our cries of frustration and misery, as we would again have to explain that pretty much 90% of the menu did not contain gluten. The server would look at us confused, point to the oysters. The customer wants to know how much gluten is in the oysters. This week on Let's Talk About Chef, we are going to dive into the history, story, an absolute bananas and completely unhealthy diet fad that makes my and so many other cooks and chefs lives a living hell. Today, we're talking about gluten.
1: A sniper.
0: Gluten is the primary protein that is found in wheat, rye, and barley. It is one of the most heavily consumed proteins on the planet. It's formed when two molecules, glutenin and gliadin, come into contact with one another and form a bond. Whenever a baker kneads dough, that bond between the two molecules creates the elasticity in dough, which gives bread its chewy texture. It's what allows pizza to be stretched thin and tossed into the air while still holding its shape. Gluten also traps carbon dioxide, which adds volume to bread or allows the dough to rise. A gluten-free diet was created to help individuals that suffer from celiac disease. A lot of people have self-diagnosed themselves as having celiac disease, but only about 1% of the population of North America actually do have it. If you are truly suffering from celiac disease, then your body is unable to process gluten and it damages your small intestine, causing a lot of pain, vomiting, diarrhea, malnutrition, and even death if unproperly treated. The short answer is that the vast majority of people that say they have celiac disease don't. It's that simple. About a decade ago, no one except for those individuals suffering from celiac disease ever really thought about gluten, until William Davis wrote a book called Wheat Belly, and with it created the idea that gluten was poison. He said that gluten causes arthritis, multiple sclerosis, and schizophrenia. Another author, David Pullmutter, wrote a book called Grain Brain, where he described gluten as being the greatest and most under-recognized health threat to humanity. Living with a gluten-free diet is exactly that, a diet. It's a fad, like the Atkins, Paleo, and even the lemon and chili pepper diet that came before them. But for some reason, it has gone even further than those other ones managed to do in their own times. And the reason for that is really simple. Eating a lot of pasta and bread is kind of bad for you. We shouldn't eat as much bread as we do, and if you all of a sudden stop eating bread completely, you stop eating a lot of sugar, and you will lose weight. It's not because of the gluten that you are suddenly thin, it's because you're not eating sugar. The other culprit in spreading the false gospel of gluten-free eating is the internet, During the heyday of the gluten fad, there were countless articles and blogs preaching about how to lose weight fast, and none of these facts were ever peer-reviewed or studied at all. They took already false information and just spread it further. Being part of the fad made these people money. A lot of money. And all of a sudden, everyone on social media, in your yoga class, and at work were telling each other not to eat gluten. It became the fastest-growing diet trend in California, seemingly overnight, with chefs scrambling to change their menus to be able to feed an overwhelming demographic of their diners who all of a sudden had gluten intolerances. Except that nobody really knew what gluten was. People are very interested in food
1: nowadays. People who don't even cook, watch cooking shows. And everyone has an opinion on what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body. Lately, I don't know if it's just here in LA, but people are very anti-gluten. Which bothers me because I'm very pro-pizza and you can't be pizza and anti gluten so um, now some people can't eat gluten for medical reasons which that I get I it annoys me but I get it but a lot of people here don't eat gluten because like uh, someone in their yoga class told them not to I keep asking people about this and I started to wonder how many of these people even know what gluten is so we decided to find out Gluten, in case you didn't know and I didn't know this is a mixture of two proteins found in wheat and some other natural grains but here in L.A., it's comparable to Satanism. It's, it's... So we sent a camera crew out to a popular exercise spot right up the street from us to ask people who are gluten-free a simple question. What is gluten? What is this thing you will not eat? So we're going to meet a person that doesn't eat gluten, and together we're going to guess if they know what gluten is. Are you ready? Now, yeah. uh, what else do you have? Do you maintain a gluten-free diet? I do, indeed. And What is gluten? Okay, does he know what gluten is? No! Oh, everyone says no. Well,
0: as far as for me, how it affects my body... Uh,
1: but, what, but what is
0: gluten? Oh, that, this is pretty sad, because I don't know. By 2016, the United States alone, Americans spent more than $15 billion on gluten-free products all of them desperately trying to remove gluten from their diets without ever having actually seen a doctor. Which makes this the most stunning is that there is no evidence to suggest that not eating grains, something that humanity has survived and depended on for thousands of years, is actually bad for you. Despite there being no actual scientific proof that gluten is bad at all, it didn't stop internet hosts and celebrities blaming it for causing all manner of things like dementia, depression, obesity, autism, ADHD, and something called brain fog. With no facts or proof to back any of these claims up, everyone just got more and more scared and obsessed with the idea that gluten was causing all of their problems. This episode of Let's Talk About Chef is being brought to you by The New Yorker magazine. Do you want the best journalism, the best stories, the best magazine in the world delivered right to your door? Well, now's your chance, and right now it will only cost you $6 for 12 weeks. For 50 cents a week, you will get The New Yorker print edition mailed to your home, as well as online access to all of its archives and digital content that is only available to subscribers and is updated every single day. To get New Yorker magazine for six dollars for twelve weeks, go to NewYorker.com. And now back to the show. Start spreading the news. I'm Wheat gives the world about 20% of its calories and more nourishment than any other form or source of food. In 2018, the global wheat harvest was 718 million tons. That's roughly about 200 pounds of wheat per person on the planet. Wheat is easy to grow, store, and ship around the world. All of us know that it's the main ingredient in bread, pasta, and cereals but it's also the main component in most soups, sauces, dressings, and even processed meat and frozen vegetables. Wheat and bread is everywhere, and it has been for a very long time. Wheat can be traced back to a single clan of wild grasses called tridicae, and our primitive ancestors would eat the seeds of the grass, crushing them with their teeth to release the flavors. Tridicae grew only in the Fertile Crescent at the core of Western Asia and Northern Africa, or the birthplace of civilization. Thanks to archaeological evidence, we know that those early versions of humans, despite being amazing hunters and fishermen, also planted and kept wheat as the earliest known example of farming. Early humans would take the seeds from the grain and would simmer them, making flat, hard cakes of bread that they could carry with them as they roamed the world looking for wild game. These early versions of wheat would grow up to six feet high, easy to spot from far away and easy to grow. About 10,000 years ago, the start of humans living together in civilizations was made possible by the planting and raising of wheat. The earliest bread was made around 8,000 BC in the Middle East, specifically in Egypt. The quern was the first known grinding tool that the early Egyptians would use to grind the seeds to make the grains. The grain was crushed and the first bakers would bake what we now know as tortillas. Egyptians were also really good at making beer, and so the combination of the knowledge of brewing mixed with baking and the world got its very first loaf of sourdough by mixing yeast with their bread mixture. As the world grew and more and more people traveled, the knowledge of how to make bread from grain made its way around the known world. People would carry seeds with wheat, with them as far as they roamed, planting them in the ground wherever they stopped to make sure that they had enough food for the colder months. All modern wheat can be traced back to those early seeds that were carried around in the pockets of our ancestors. The Romans invented water milling around 450 BC and made the act of making bread an art form. They also assumed that the whiter a bread, the higher the quality, and so the first true white loaves of bread started to be made in Rome for the wealthy. In Britain, during the Middle Ages, bread was sometimes the only form of sustenance a peasant would be able to get with wheat being traded like money. Because of the Roman influence in England, the whiter loaves were again kept for royalty, while the rye and bran breads, even though they were actually healthier, were kept for the poor. By 600 BC, the Persians invented the first windmill that was used to grind and mill grains, and in Mexico, the first corn tortillas were being made around 100 BC. The French Revolution was started because hordes of angry, starving mobs demanded bread. In the United States during the 20th century, chemicals started to get added to bread, and bread became whiter, softer, and could last in your cupboard for days. Wonder Bread even started adding vitamins to their bread, and thought of it as a meal replacement. But of course, the flour became heavily processed. Here's how to help build strong bodies eight
1: ways. Eat Wonder Bread. You want to grow bigger and stronger, don't you? God, sure. Okay. A sandwich daily and two slices of Wonder Bread every meal give you eight elements you need. As much muscle-building protein as roast beef, as much calcium for bones and teeth as cottage cheese, as much phosphorus for cell metabolism as this egg, as much iron for red blood as three lamb chops, as much vitamin B1 for appetite as fried liver, as much vitamin B2 for growth as this much cheese as much niacin for mental health as six sardines, as much energy as two glasses of milk. That's why you can help yourself grow bigger and stronger eight ways with Wonder Bread. I mean grow bigger and stronger eight ways. So we should week Wonder Bread. Get Wonder Bread fresh
0: at your grocers today. During the 1970s, people stopped eating a lot of bread sales began to fall and really the only bread that was available was the whiter than white and spongy wonder bread but by the 1980s bakers and bread companies started to reintroduce the idea of artisan or rustic breads to the public whole grains rye breads and whole wheat all of a sudden bread was healthy again and good for you until 10 years ago when suddenly it wasn't again a recent study shows that the real culprit behind feeling unwell after eating what people assume to be gluten is probably in fact a carbohydrate called fructin. You can find fructin in grains like wheat, barley, and rye, but it's also found in gluten-free foods like agave, artichokes, asparagus, garlic, leeks, and even onions. Researchers for the test gave protein bars to people that were living a gluten-free life, and the results were very telling. Over six weeks of testing, the subjects were given three bars. One contained gluten, one contained absolutely nothing, and one contained fructin. Each participant was supposed to rate how each bar affected their digestion, and of those tested, over half experienced discomfort from the bar containing fructan. The rest experienced discomfort from the bar that contained nothing at all, and the smallest fraction was made up said that the gluten bar made them feel unwell. Basically, the study proved one thing. People don't really know what they're talking about. At the supermarket yesterday, I- by a display of Arnott's Royals. But alas, I couldn't purchase them because they contained gluten and it made me want to sing.
1: I've never eaten white bread in the flesh I cut my teeth on gluten free from the health aisle And I'm not proud of my distress with a torn-up constant food envy Cause every product's got fructose, lactose, gluten in the fine print This food got food even in the wine bin We don't dare, cause we got celiac
0: in our veins Eventually, the craze of eating gluten-free will go away. It's already started. Sales of gluten-free products are falling. The amount of people saying that they are celiac is also dropping. And although that is great news, it just means that it will be replaced with something else ridiculous. Gluten was the first food victim of the internet. An idea that was spawned from nothing and because of social media and blogs and Instagram became a global trend. The internet. The fact that you don't need to check facts to be able to put whatever you want into the world was the reason that I and so many other chefs like me were watching chits pouring in all saying the same thing, gluten free. Who knows what'll be next? Maybe apples will cause leprosy. Red meat could cause shingles. Medium heat salsa will cause you to lose weight but also get the bubonic plague. I know that all that sounded ridiculous, but you know what else is ridiculous? The idea that bread can give you dementia. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. It was written and produced by me, Brian Clark. I want to thank The New Yorker magazine for letting us talk about them this week. And I want to give this week's shout-out to Stower, the oldest bakery in Paris founded in 1730 by King Louis Pastry Chef. If you want to taste what bread should taste like, if you are in Paris or plan on visiting, you do not want to miss out going to this landmark. I remember being young and starving and standing outside this bakery at 6 in the morning watching the bread being brought out from the basement where the ovens are with my mouth watering. And thanks to them for writing in. If you want to write to us for any reason at all, you can reach us at letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com or you can follow me personally on Instagram at ChefBrianClark. We are back next Thursday with another brand new episode of Let's Talk About Chef. And so until then, as always, have a great service and have a great week. I'm getting more-